Hello everyone, and welcome back to the Seek Outside podcast. My name is Dennis, and today Kevin and I are joined by Robbie Denning. Robbie is the co-owner at Rockslide.com and is also obsessed with mule deer. Robbie has killed four bucks over 200 inches in the past 15 years. He has distilled all of that information down into his book, Hunting Big Mule Deer, How to Take the Best Buck of Your Life. I hope you enjoy our conversation with Robbie Denning. Hey, Robbie, welcome to the podcast. How's it going? Hey, good, Dennis. Thanks for getting me on here, despite all my technical difficulties that seem to follow me everywhere. That's right. I think, uh, Kevin, are, can, are you there as well? Um, I know you're flying around in your camper right now and out in your driveway. Yeah, I'm, I'm here. Um, I may have technical difficulties um, if this wind persists, uh, so we'll see. Uh, I'm on battery power and on a phone though, so I should be about as stable as I can get. So awesome, awesome. Um, so, Robbie, what uh, you know? It's it's May right now. It's actually May. We're recording this on May nineteenth. Um, we'll be coming out with this podcast this week, sometime later this week. Um, what what are people looking for, or what are you doing right now? Focusing on as far as mule deer goes. Well, um, everything's a little up in the air this time of year for me because of the, the application uh, season still open. The only western state that I've applied in, I didn't apply in Montana, but the only one that I've applied in this year that's reported so far is Utah. Uh, Nevada should report tomorrow. And then Idaho, Wyoming, and uh, Arizona are still open. So I'm a little bit in the wait and see mode. Now, as a resident of Idaho, obviously, I'm already kind of planning hunts here, but um, I haven't gotten the field other than uh, just to kind of kind of study a reverse migration route in the spring. A lot of times you can go out in the spring in certain areas and, you know, where the deer are in you know, late March, early April into May, just depending on the elevation, uh, is where they'll be when they start migrating in the fall. And so I, I've done a little bit of that this year. And um, I'm not a big shed hunter unless I know where a big buck is. So I don't worry about that too much. There's just too many people on the in the hills for me during shed season. So just uh, just waiting for those states to report and get applied, um, and then start getting everything dialed in. Um, usually about mid to late June is when I start hitting it pretty hard. Do you have any uh, prospects? Do you do you expect to draw somewhere this year? Let's see, Nevada. I have 13 points and the way that their bonus system works, it's not a preference point system uh, that it doesn't guarantee anything, but I was in that roughly 30 to 40% range to draw. So I shouldn't say I expect it, but I wouldn't be surprised if I drew it. And then what else is still out? Uh, I didn't get anything in Utah. I should draw Colorado. We'll find out about that at the end of the month. Um, going uh third season down there this year just just in an average unit not too far from you guys maybe i'll get to see you um and um i guess just waiting on on on, on idaho and wyoming you know mm-hmm. I, I haven't even applied on those yet so so my uh that's what i mean everything's just up in the air you just you just sure. really don't know other than about the only thing that's dialed in for sure is idaho general season and and, and my colorado tag i should draw i should but you, you just never know. All the dates shifted late this year. Everybody's drooling over third and fourth season. You just don't know, you know, in these units that just have, you know, 50 to 150 tags, you don't know how many guys are, have been sitting on the sidelines and just going to you know, come out of nowhere with, you know, 11 points and, and push that up. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. 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 Cause that can happen, right? Somebody just decides to put in for a unit where maybe it only takes three points every year but they have 10 and they're like, Oh, whatever. It doesn't matter. And, um, they can, they can take that away. Something that you're expecting to draw or has high odds all of a sudden doesn't have high odds anymore. Yeah. It's happening in every state too. You know, I, I applied before the, um, you know, the internet basically. And, you know, there was hardly any point creep anywhere. You could just look at something and go, okay, that takes two points. I'm going to get it in two years. And now so many people, built points through the, you know, late nineties, two thousands. And, and a lot of them realized that they're on the road to nowhere. That's kind of where I am with Utah. I have 20 points. You know, that sounds like a lot, 
you know, I was a young, a young man when I started building those. And now it's like, oh, that's just, that's nothing at all. So when, you know, it, like Utah, I applied for a new hunt this year and I still didn't get it. And it's not even that great of a unit, you know, cause there's just so many people sitting on the sideline with points. I think it's kind of changed everything on how you got to be thinking about stuff. And that's why I said Idaho general season, that's probably all I should really be counting on right now. Anything else will be a bonus. Now, now um, where I live, we had a new hunt open up a few years ago. It was a high country hunt in September, like one week rifle tag. It was maybe three, four years ago. I remember. And I was like, awesome. I put in, turned out it took 11 or 13 points or something to draw. First (laughs) year. I know exactly what unit you're talking about. The first year, 9 to 11 or whatever you said. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, wow. Never mind, cross that one. I, 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 I want to hunt deer more often than once every 10 years or so. So, Yeah, I'm glad you say that because I argue with a lot of guys about that. There's just kind of this mentality out there. I hear it all the time. That, well, I'd rather hunt once every five years and you know, have a great hunt than you know, every year and have a poor hunt. And I'm like, oh, man, don't, don't say that garbage. That's blasphemy, man. You'll get all our seasons so shut down and you know five years my goodness that's a big chunk of my life i could die in five years and Mm -hmm. and the other funny thing about it and i've seen this so many times with the high quality hunts five years doesn't mean squat if you've never been in that unit before it's happened to me i see it happen every single year after the season Uh, you know on rock slide these guys will when they draw a great tag, you know, they'll put up all these posts, all their plans, you know, I'm going to kill it. I finally drew the tag of a lifetime after hunting season, either those threads go dead. They don't even come back and everybody say, Hey man, how would your hunt go? Well, they're not answering. How do you think it went? Um, um, (laughs) Very seldom do they come in and did the hunt meet their expectations? Sometimes it does. And and I don't want to make it sound like I'm against draw hunts, but you know, that I'm with you, Kevin, man, let, let me go deer hunting. I just need to go. It doesn't need to be fantastic, you know, Henry Mountain's quality. I just want to go deer hunting, you know, and a lot of people are surprised, you know, because I'm a big buck hunter that I, I fall on that side of things, but you can just restrict it way too much. And there's back to the whole thing with points. There's too many guys sitting out there with points that when, when these new opportunities come up, like that unit you mentioned, Kevin, you know, I was all excited about that too. I think I had like four points that year or something. And I, 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 I applied for that unit. And and then when I saw that nine points, I thought, oh, this is stupid. This is still dumb. <laughs> like, why, why do we even get excited? There's too many high roller point guides out there. So I'm with you all the way, brother. Yeah, those are, those are things where you're better off just um, picking up a bow, in my opinion, and, and, uh, to, to get your opportunity instead of waiting to yeah, 10 or 15 that, years. So yeah, that's why I, I put it in my book. You got to be a multi-season hunter or multi-weapon hunter, excuse me. So that, you know, cause you can create a lot of extra opportunities and man, you can hunt most of the West with a bow just about every year, you know? And, and, but when guys tell me I'm not a bow hunter, I'm like, well, I don't, I don't know what to tell you then. I guess get in line with all the rifle hunters on the good, good units. Hopefully you get a tag before you die. Now, now you've taken quite a few, quite a few big bucks, um, 200 plus. Um, so I, I think that would, uh, qualify you as someone who's had sustained success, success, harvesting large deer. Um, have they all been, um, have they been skewed towards a weapon or, or has it been skewed towards places you're very knowledgeable or what? And, and when you said when you say two hundred plus, you don't mean two hundred plus total deer. You mean two hundred inches yeah. plus, like big, yeah, yeah, yeah. big buck. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Um, <laughs> yeah, all my, all my two hundreds, uh, Kevin. There, I've, I've taken four of them. Um, I'm about due for one now. It's been ten years since I've I've, I've killed one, but um, they're all rifle bucks and one in Idaho rifle just general season one in wyoming general season and two in colorado one in a one point unit and one in a nine point unit Uh, but but yeah they all have been rifle my bow bucks have all i've only killed three so i I would 
consider myself a you know a very productive archery hunter um, they've all been between about 180 and 195 right around in there and then muzzleloader i killed a 191 buck with a muzzleloader and then a couple other you know nice bucks and when you say general uh general tag is, is that just for per a unit or a general tag like you can hunt multiple units when, when i say general tag what i mean by that and i'm glad you asked that dennis because it does mean different things in different states i mean a tag that any resident can get and so like wyoming it's basically the whole state is general or otc for the residents now the non-residents might have to draw because you know these states have to put caps on non-residents or you know all of northern california shows up in your state sorry california guys but you're pretty mobile um <laughs> and so they put caps on these things and, and i and not just california man i mean just hunters are mobile uh, but yeah, around yeah. here you see a lot of california guys and so um um but the residents you know if, if the resident can get it yearly i just call it a general tag that that's what i mean by that okay okay cool um okay uh in uh in your book you, you talk about that you know being able to hunt every year um you know and very, like focusing on that and then also spending multiple years hunting maybe the same unit or learning a unit right like putting in that work um and you're when you're able to do that you're in again you talk about this in your book you're able to learn that unit so so maybe it's only one point you can hunt it every other year Mm -hmm. Maybe it's a general tag as a resident and you happen to live in Wyoming or, or something and you can hunt every year. Um, but focusing on those uh, units where you can hunt them more often than, you know, as we were just talking about once in a decade, mm -hmm. right? That gives you an advantage, right? Yeah. And it's not just because you learn the unit. Um, that's, that's big part of it. And I think it's really important to kind of have that in your toolbox is some units that you know really well and you know some of these units in idaho i've i've added it up over the years i've spent 60 to 80 days in some of these units you know over over the years not obviously not all in one year at all but you know so over time that that is a good technique but you know if it's a general tag it's not going to produce every year you know you got to remember that too because anything that gets good is going to get overrun that's just how it is. We just talked about the point system. That's really what's happening. You know, it just gets overrun with, with, with point holders. Well, the same thing can happen on a general tag. If it's very good at all, you know, guys cannot keep their mouth shut. They, for whatever reason, they have to tell people. And, you know, it's it's just like this stupid virus thing we just went through. You know, it spreads like a virus. You, you give it to one person and you think, oh, this is as far as it's going to go. And no, he tells one and then they tell three and, and and i've seen it and it didn't used to quite be that bad you know you could enjoy hunting in a unit for a while so the a general unit that's just kind of mediocre i can't believe i'm even saying this because i didn't think this way 20 years ago that's a good thing because it's probably going to be pretty pretty constant you're going to kind of know what to expect where i hate hot spotting you know and for anybody out there, if I haven't answered your Instagram and your Facebook messages on what unit, that's why. I just can't stand that stuff, and it just it just is not good for anybody. And even if it's not my unit, it, it you know if I put it on the internet, it's gonna it's gonna hurt somebody. And so just to have a place that isn't all that good, at least it's predictable. You know what I mean? And the mm -hmm. biggest that big Idaho deer that I killed that came out of a unit that's it's never listed in the mags, you know, maybe once in a while or something, but no, it's just a, just an okay unit, but because it doesn't draw all the very best hunters and draw all the pressure, occasionally a buck can slip through the cracks. So I'm going on and on like I, I always I, do. I can't wait you asked me. Um, <laughs> oh, oh, just about. Well, just, just, yeah. yeah. Spending, spending time in a unit and learning a unit. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's super important, but, but go, go ahead, Kevin. So I was I was chatting with this guy um, probably late last year um, about concept of you know I've always looked for big wilderness units myself right because I like to get off the beaten path away from people I like wilderness I like the experience of it all right um, but I was talking 
kind of thinking backwards about it, that most of the people that show up for a wilderness unit are prepared. You know, I mean, maybe some of them are, but they're like, okay, I'm going back. I mean, you can, you almost have to try to outwork them or something, right? Mm-hmm. And we were talking about what about units that are have a lot of roads and a lot of, say, ATV trails and stuff in some segments of wilderness that is back a little ways that they could be potentially everyone is distracted with the easier access um, that if you get three miles back in a unit like that in a corner of that unit it's like being 10 miles back somewhere else um, and I'll put a little color to this I had do last seat last year I had a decent draw elk tag and I had scouted in wilderness. I had my plans to go in wilderness. Um, first day of the season, I was sick to my stomach. So I ended up just um, not even packing in. The second day I was going to pack in, but I ended up with a flat tire resolve. So that really ruined a fairly large section of that day. So I ended up just going to road areas by in that unit where all these guys were road hunting. And I thought, I'm just going to take a stroll. You know, and tomorrow, even though it's only a five-day season, tomorrow, now that I'm set, I'm going to pack in to my spot, which was high, right at tree line and all this. And I was just moseying around, really just went for a stroll, and I killed a five-by-six bull, you know, Mm -hmm. just relatively close to the road. And I was like, A, was that luck, or was it just that everyone was so focused on the close to the road that literally being a mile and a half, from the road was like awesome area, you know, that people weren't touching it or something, you know. How hard was the tag to draw? How many points? Um, for me, it was relatively easy. I'm not going to give out numbers because gotcha, okay. people are going to reverse engineer it. <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? I got you. I got you, but not too bad for resident. The reason I asked that is because, you yeah. know, that's, that's the problem with some of the really good units is they attract the, the best hunters and, or they motivate the hunters that have the tag. And so, you know, sometimes you're dealing with that too. And, you know, not, it's not that I would never hunt one of those places. I'm just, a lot of guys are shocked when they get a really good tag at, at the pressure and the, how serious people are, you know, they somehow dreamed up on the internet. They were going to be the only serious hunter that was going to hunt that. And it's like, no, this people, people are smart. They realize this is a limited opportunity, you know, and I see this on rock slide all the time. Everybody just assumes they're a great hunter and everybody else is a road hunter. It's like, no, there's thousands of great hunters out there. And so, you know, you just kind of have to expect that going, going into a unit. But, but Kevin, what you were saying about when you said if a, if a, if a unit has some roaded areas and then maybe some wilderness areas and by wilderness, do you mean designated wilderness or just roadless or both? Oh no, it has, it had some it had some big chunks of wilderness um so i mean and my plan was uh, to be in the big chunks of wilderness and i was actually kind of astonished how few people were in the wilderness because i was thinking to myself from my area which i hunt in the wilderness in my area but i mean in my area I'm with it's an over-the-counter unit sometimes you have to put in it's just not enough getting to the wilderness you have to put in some significant effort and sometimes you find these hell holes that you really think there's nobody going to be here no one's loony enough to do this next thing you know here comes someone with llamas yep then here comes someone else the next day in and you're like wow this is kind of turning into a social gathering here there's a bunch of crazy crazy old mountain men and stuff that have managed to find their way to this spot on the map so i was astonished because i was like there only looks to be a couple people hunting the wilderness sections here everyone seems to be driving around for easier stuff right um but yet they're not getting out of their car and penetrating that one or two miles between roads you know so i guess probably the take home on it all is what dennis said um, that's the that's the advantage of kind of knowing an area and i'll bet if you go back if you get the tag again you'll you'll be that much better of a hunter in it oh yeah i will be i will be so i put um, in for it again so, so hey so dennis like there was something else i wanted to say on that when you were talking about hunting the same area every year 
Yeah. Well, just one other thing that b- besides the advantage of learning it, hunting every year, that's, you know, polishing yeah. your deer, your deer hunting skills. And, um, you know, and that's why I'm, you know, I'm not all privy on making everything a draw and making everything great hunting, because then that just means you're not going to get to go very often. You're just hoping that the, that the, that the unit's great quality is going to make up for poor hunting skills. I don't know how else to say it. And so, um, I think, I think you just got to find units that are kind of a balance between being able to hunt them out enough to learn them, but they can't be so fantastic that you just don't ever get to go in there. But by hunting every single year, you're going to, you're going to know what deer are doing when it's snowing, when it's not snowing, when it's hot, when it's, when it's cold, when all the different nuances of every season that are different, you're going to be able to kind of jump back in your brain and say, oh yeah, well, I experienced that once before and this is what I did. And, you know, that's, that's where we're polishing your deer hunting skills really comes in and you know and just learning how to move in the deer woods that's really i mean you saw i wrote a whole chapter about moving mm-hmm. in the deer woods in my book because you know we're bumbling fools in the in the in the woods compared to the animals that live there especially deer you know we 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 make a big splash when we go in the woods you know we really and we don't we we, we don't think we do but we do you know the squirrels know we're there the birds know we're there the mule deer certainly know we're there and so mm-hmm. you know by 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 by, by hunting a lot you kind of you kind of learn that stuff. And then, you know, you, if you do get a great tag, you're going to be that much better of a hunter. And, but if you're just ended up hunting, you know, mediocre places, you're probably going to do better than, than the average person. In fact, you will do, you will, I almost guarantee it. Mm-hmm. Has, has that been a, a, you know, um, I guess for you, right, you, you, you're a resident of Idaho. Mm-hmm. You get to hunt Idaho. I mean, obviously more often than you hunt anything else. Yep. Every resident there. Um, how do you do that? Like, say, when you come to Colorado and stuff, have you focused on units that you just kind of try to, like, when you're here to hunt one unit, do you stop in another and spend some time? Or, you know, when you come to scout, like, do you come for a week, you know, in the spring? Or, like, what, what does that look like trying to, like, scout those, like, out-of-state units? You know, like, a lot of people will say, you know, like, my dad, he's in Wisconsin. He's not coming out here all the time. He can't, like, scout. Mm-hmm. necessarily right unless he i mean he could he, he might but he's got to spend a week then drive out like what's it what's a good time for him to do that well the first thing i would say is if you want to if you want to kill a big deer welcome to the club that's what you have to do you can't say oh i can't come out for a week and a couple of our best riders on rock slide les welch and tony treach they're both from uh, michigan and uh, is tony's from and les is from wisconsin i think les was out here last week antler hunting and, and they just figure out how to do it. And, you know, um, um, it's harder, it's definitely harder and it's, it's going to be more expensive, but I live six or 700 miles away from the units I hunt in Colorado. And I started hunting Colorado in 93, drew my first sky country tag down there in 93. I just made it happen. I just I drove down there and I, and I wasn't, didn't know a lot about the area. I didn't even really know where to go, but at least I figured out the trailheads think I only saw one or two bucks while I was down there, but, but it was totally helpful come season. The season opened in September and I didn't get one, but you know, it was, at least I knew what was going on. And so I don't hunt anywhere unless, unless I've got a friend or somebody that's trust that I trust that has been there before. That's, you know, willing to, you know, go and hunt with you and, um, or, or pre-scout it. And you mentioned it. Yeah. Like when I, where I'm going this year, the unit I'm going to this year, I haven't hunted it for 20 years, but I, I, I know that thing very well. I hunted it before I wrote everything down. It's in journals. I followed it mm-hmm. over the years. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm hunting it now because honestly I can draw it. There was other units I could draw that were better. Now I can't draw them anymore because of the whole point tidal wave. Um, but I try to never go anywhere that I don't have some good intel on because you just get spanked. I mean, you just about the time that you're you're learning the unit, the either the season closes or you just run out of gas to keep hunting, you know. And so that's that's just the world we live in now. There's it, 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 that's why the serious mule deer hunters are 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 doing that stuff and 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 scouting and you know a lot of people think scouting is just you know sitting on the knob august 15th and inventory and bucks well that's great but man what if you don't even know where the knob is you know i mean you can go down there well like just this this place i went in april where this migration route for idaho i don't know if i'll ever apply there or not the tag's not super hard to get but it has a, a, a legitimate 
two or 3,000 deer that come through these corridors over the course of a week or two. And, and on a good snow year, you know, if you've got that tag, you know, you've got a chance at a, you know, 170 to a, this will blow guys away, 250 buck. I mean, there's just <laughs> some giants that show up out there. Well, you know, it's, I don't know the unit very well. I didn't feel even comfortable even considering applying for it. So, you know, went out there in April and, and just looked at deer and tracks and, and, and the other thing that's totally undervalued of, of spending time in the woods scouting before the season are the people that you meet. And when my, my, that, that 191 muzzleloader buck I killed in Colorado, um, was simply because people knew I came there before season. They were willing to share tips and try here, try there, you know, information that you just don't get during the season very often. And so, you know, scouting is huge. I just, I just kind of poo poo guys when they're like, well, I can't, well, you can do anything you want. You can do anything that's important to you. That's, and, and if it's not that important, okay, I get it. No problem. No problem. It's just going to take you longer. You're going to have to make more trips. It doesn't make me a better hunter than you or anything. I'm, you know, but when guys, guys see all the, the bucks that I've killed, I'm like, well, that's, that's thousands of days of my life. I've invested in that and, and very intentional. So long answer to your question, but yeah. man, I don't just throw darts at a map and go try it. You know what I mean? Okay. <laughs> okay, so you see, you see uh, a 175 buck the first day of a hunt. Are you shooting it or are you letting it walk? Depends on the about. unit and how much I know about it. So last year I killed one on opening day with a muzzleloader, but I was hunting a new unit. I went with a friend that knew it very well. Poor genetic unit. I knew that, but it allowed you to hunt during the rut. And, you know, some years you just got to, you just got to look at your opportunities. And I was like, well, there's most of the places where we're growing big deer right now in Idaho suck because we just got hammered with two bad winners out of three and, you know, just, just not very good. Of course, I checked them a little bit during the general season, but they all closed so early that I thought, well, I want to hunt during the rut. So I applied for this muzzleloader hunt with this guy. And, you know, he said, if you, you know, anything in that 10 to 26 to 28 inch range, you know, you're, you're not going to see bigger. And so the buck I saw opening day was, was 20, uh, 27, 26 and a half. And uh, big bodied, I aged him at the lab. He was five years old. Man, I let him have it. And my friend had, you know, we were hunting together. He had seven more days in the unit. That was the best buck we saw. And so, so, so Kevin, it's totally situational, totally situational. Um, now the unit I'm going to, uh, if, if I can draw Colorado this year that I'm going to go to, I'm not going to shoot that buck on the last day unless they just don't have any meat or anything because it'll grow better bucks than that. So, so you kind of got to, got to just what's your opportunities. And that's where scouting is so important. And, and, and cause that tells me what's there and, and some units, yeah, you should never pass up a 175 buck because there's nothing bigger in the unit, but you know, I've passed up some incredibly big bucks over the years, but every time I have, it's because I knew there were other bigger bucks around that, that 224 Wyoming buck that I, that I killed. It was in my book, Dennis, the, the buck mm -hmm. in the snow. Mm -hmm. um, that buck was running with a beautiful 30 inch high one eighties, maybe one nineties, typical, beautiful buck that nine out of 10 years, man, I'd, I'd shoot that buck opening morning. The second it was legal. No, no questions asked. I passed that buck up five times in 16 days because I knew the other one was there and, and it worked out. I ended up killing the other one. Um, so it's totally situational, Kevin. Um, that's bring it back to scouting two questions. <clears throat> um, one thing that you kind of pointed out in your comment there was your journal. Um, and there's a story I won't in your book, um, I won't spoil for everybody, but that it, it factors in a lot in that story, right? The journal that you kept and the notes that you had that you could reference back to, um, what, what does that look like? What does your journal look like? Is it a a pad and a paper do you have you know do you got stacks of them at home everywhere like like what does what your journaling process look like okay so i started keeping a journal in the early 90s so like that colorado hunt that very first colorado hunt i told you about that i went on i could go on that hunt tomorrow again that's been 27 years ago i know the drainages 
I know the people I talk to. I know all, I know where we saw the deer. I know all that stuff. And and you might think that you remember that stuff over the years, but you know, there's little things that you kind of forget. And um, so I started journaling then, and you know, and I I don't want to make it sound like I you know I write a book every night in camp. I don't, you know, and and but you know I, I I'm I'm always noting things about the hunt so that if I ever do the hunt again, I can go back and and look at the journal. And you'll remember things like, oh yeah, there were deer tracks. Every time I hunted underneath that rim over there, you're not going to, you might not remember that in five years. Um, you know, people you meet, I write that stuff down. Um, that, that, that buck I killed in Wyoming, maybe this is the reference you're talking about in the book, but there, there's a photo or there's a picture of a, of one of my journal pages. Cause I, I hand drew his track. Uh-huh. So that I wouldn't forget what his track looked like. And, and man, I ended up killing that buck because I found that track. I mean, I think I drew that picture like September 3rd or something. I ended up killing him October 4th because I found that same track again, and had the same characteristics. And, and, you know, it could have been a different buck, I, but I knew this is a big deer. And sure. so just little things like that, it's so important. And so everything's uh, pad and paper. I don't do it electronically. Uh, too hard to look that stuff up and, and, and find it again years later. Maybe I'll regret it someday. But I have a, uh, a filed um, cabinet and one whole drawer of the file cabinet. So whatever drawer is, you know, 12 by 12 by, you know, 20 inches deep is full of those little journals I've kept over the years um, and I just buy the little, you know, it's something small enough I can take on the hunt, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, the other thing a journal does is you can, it, it, sometimes I like to just sit back and read my journals from like 20 years ago. You can see your evolution as a hunter and you can see the way that you were thinking then, and then kind of look back and go, well, that was totally wrong or, whoa, I was on to something there. And I can't think of any examples now, but, you know, to just kind of see your evolution and on, on, on how you think about hunting. Like, like I said it a couple of times in the podcast that I can't, I can't believe I'm saying this now, but, you know, sometimes just having an average unit is, is, is a good thing where I used to just be totally focused on the draws and, you know, scouting the draw units and stuff like that. Well, frick, I don't even hardly think about that stuff now. Cause I'm like, I'm not going to draw them. You know, I, I can't build a strategy around draw tags. And sure. so, you know, that stuff's in, 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 in my journals. And, um, and the other thing a journal will do for you too, is it will motivate you. Cause if you go on that hunt again, you will be able to look at that and just, it's almost like you're back there in your mind and like, Oh, I remember I made this mistake and Oh, I never hunted over here or, Hey man, I totally got into the bucks right here. And, you know, bucks are like crops, I think. And, in, in these, you know, kind of more heavily hunted units, you know, one, one little spot will be good for a year. And then the next year it just doesn't produce, but maybe somewhere else does. So a journal kind of helps you paint the overall picture of the area and how you hunted it. And, and man, if I, Occasionally, if I'll go on a hunt, I'll take the journal with me, even if it was like four or five years ago. And then, you know, I'll read it in camp and it'll, it'll motivate you. It, it sure. will yeah, yeah. It'll really help you. Yeah. I mean, it just, a you know, little thing that you touched on there, you know, like, well, I've never actually gone over there. Mm-hmm. Right. Or, 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 oh man, that was 50. That you're looking at, at the, at the current time, you know, um, yep. yeah, it makes, yep. makes yep. a lot of sense. Another thing along the scouting lines that I found interesting in, um, was, was you learning Spanish. Yeah. Yeah. And, and can you, uh, I guess talking, I guess the Spanish thing kind of comes into who you meet maybe earlier in the season when you're scouting. Right. Um, and can you talk about kind of your motivations there? Yeah, totally. That's when I knew I was freaking crazy because, (laughs) um, um, I would, you know, as a little kid, all the sheep herders around here were, were Basque and they, you know, they, they, they spoke, you know, pretty much classic Spanish. And, you know, my dad was a big buck hunter and he was always like, Hey, those, those guys, you know, walking down the flipping road there with all those sheep and the gold teeth. And they, they know where the big bucks are, you know, they spend all, all summer out there. And occasionally we'd meet one that could speak English and, you know, they, 
Muy Bernardo Grande, you know, Donde, yeah, ask them where. They're, oh, yeah, you know, they, they, they always knew. So when I, was, when I was getting my writing degree, I had to declare a minor. And so um, uh, um, I, I decided just to declare it in Spanish. And I cannot speak Spanish. I just know the, 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 the wor enough words that if I see a sheep herder, I can kind of hold my arms out and go, you know, um, Muy Bernardo Grande, uh, and, you know, kind of get the conversation sure. going. Sure. And, um, you know, those guys are lonely. They're a long ways from home. You know, they come, they live in the mountains for three months. You know, we, we all think we're wilderness hunters. No, those guys are freaking wilderness people. And so they're just happy if somebody can, you know, even communicate with them a little bit, even if it's just word by word. And, you know, and I, I literally in the summer, if I'm going in an area where there's a sheep herder, I have a little Spanish dictionary that I take so I can remember to look up the words and everything. And, 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 and I have killed two of my very best bucks partly from tips on sheep herders that 224 wyoming buck i keep talking about a sheep herder told me about that mountain and um like i don't know he i talked to him in like 98 probably and um i killed that buck in 2005 and so between 98 and 2005 i had started scouting that area and he was right i've seen a couple other magnum bucks on that mountain and then that Idaho buck, that 230 Idaho buck I killed, my best Idaho buck, in part, was some tips from a sheep herder. And I remember his name. His name was Tomas Lozano. And um, he, he, was, he was just he, – he could speak enough English that he could make up for my bad Spanish. And he was able to commute, communicate really well. And um, I was back scouting in the summer, and um, – he he wanted me to camp with him like when i started talking to him he's like you you know campo the key you know he wanted me to stay with him so so i did because i it, it was it was close enough to where i was hunting and and just over that couple of days you know i didn't spend all day with him or anything but he he want he took me out to where he had seen big bucks before and you know just standing on the ridge pointing over there oh oh and that 36 incher that i killed yeah was on a hillside that that, that he told me uh that over the years he'd seen a lot of bucks and big bucks on this hillside and so anyways it, it was just it was just important to me and i'm glad i did it even though i can't even as i say in the book i can't even find the bathroom when i go to mexico um at least i can kind of start talking to these guys and um and they 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 do know where the bucks are now a lot of them are not basque anymore they're portuguese they're from they're south american stuff and so that's a different kind of Spanish. I don't even know if it is Spanish. And so they're a little bit harder to talk to. Um, and, um, you know, and the thing you got to remember when you're talking to those guys, you know, they don't know a 190 from a 180. They don't know, but they know what muy bonado grande means. They know what a big deer is, you know, and, 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 and it's funny. Every, it, it, that's what's fascinating to me about mule deer is a unit may have mule deer through the whole thing, but certain areas still have bigger bucks than other areas. I think it just has to do with, you know, security and, you know, what thing they're probably perceiving things that we don't even understand, but for whatever reason, over the years, I've found places that, that just big bucks gravitate to. And so by talking to those guys, they seem to figure that out too. Like, yeah, I might see deer all over the place, but for whatever reason, I see big deer right there. Big bucks or, or just bucks in general. Yeah, in, in that area, and maybe the thermals are good, right? Or, or something weird, or something weird about it. Yep, yep. So I've had a lot of fun with that over the years, and that film we released this year for Rockslide, um, it's called uh, Hunting Big Mule Deer. Uh, it's on the Rockslide YouTube channel right now. If you look real quick in there, there's a clip of me talking to a sheep herder in there, and the the uh, the gal that was filming me was she was laughing her butt off that I was talking to this guy because he could speak no English, and um. Uh, I, but I got it out of him. I was able to kind of get get across why we were there and if he had seen any. And man, he told us exactly where he had seen them. And and again, I don't know if they were big bucks, but to him, they were bigger than what he had seen. And we were sitting on the horse trail and he was pointing to the rocks, kind of a big rock face. And I, I could tell what he was trying to say that was behind this rock face is where he had seen them. And, and I had been over there before and there's a great big green basin over there. And, you know, he'd, he'd moved the sheep in there like a couple of weeks before and saw a couple of nice bucks in there. And, and so, you know, I, I never went over there cause I was chasing another one, but I thought, 
told my camera lady, I said, right there, see? I mean, he spends all summer up here. He goes all over these mountains, and he just narrowed it down to that one little spot for us, you know, and maybe they were 25-inch bucks. Who knows? But to him, they were bigger than every, everything else he'd seen. So we, if, if we were new to the unit, we should at least go over there and look. You, you just never know. Yeah, you know, I mean, that, that's a tip you can't. I mean, you can't get anywhere else, right? Like you just can't Not do it. Mags, yeah. guarantee you. <laughs> we got we have some sheep herders around here. Um, so all I need to say is muy bonado grande. Muy bonado grande. That means very big buck. And then there's just different ways to say where in Spanish. You can say you can say donde. You can say um, sometimes I'll say to them, uh, 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 "Tu bonado grande." That means if, have you seen a big buck? And, you know, and, and again, like I said, I'm terrible at Spanish. I, I mean, I, I got like C pluses in the whole class and everything, but, but some of them know English. This is the other thing too, Kevin, some of them know English, but they're too shy to talk to you. So as you start giving them some, some, some Spanish words and, and, and they'll try to talk to you. And then I'll, then I'll always say, you know, um, uh, um, uh, yo, yo, yo sabe, uh, Espanol poquito. That means I just know a little bit of Spanish. Well, then they'll kind of start showing, showing some of their English words and, and some of them can speak English just fine, you know? And, and, and so it just, it just breaks the ice, you know, get, gets things going. And it's not that every one of them is going to give you a, a, a big tip and everything, you know, it, but it's just one more source of information that literally when I was a kid, it was a great source of information. You know, if you knew Spanish, like that was golden where I don't even hear people talk about it anymore. They're just, they're, they're just looking on hunting fool and epic hunts and go hunt, you know, all that stuff, mm -hmm. <laughs> which is all good. So what does your scouting process say normally look like? Um, is it a backcountry trip? Is it driving around with a spotting scope? Is it just hitting different hillsides or combination of all of them? All of the above. And so like for Idaho this year, where I'm thinking I'm going to end up hunting this year, because I'll just count on not getting any tags. And then if I get one, great, I'll shift my, um, well, I mean, draw tags, good tag. I'll, I'll shift my tactics. But so I'll, I'll probably be hunting an archer unit that's kind of rolly, foothilly desert stuff. Doesn't have a lot of water. So I'll get some trail cameras in there probably in the next May 19th. I don't know, probably should have them out by about June 15th, somewhere in there. That's when the deer seem to show up in there. And um, I'll just watch those cameras. One place has a place you can put a, a cellular camera so that I can watch those bucks without having to hike in there all the time and screw the place up and spread scent around. Um, but then there's about, it's probably, I don't know, four square mile area, five, something like that. There's other places you just have to go glass. So, so usually, usually Kevin, I'll, I'll visit that place two or three times over the summer and get an idea of what's there. And then, um, but it, it's pretty easy to get into. I can be into where the bucks are in 45 minutes of walking. Um, and so, you know, it's not, it's kind of like where you killed your, your bull that you were talking about plenty of roads, mm -hmm. but there's, there's enough security between the roads that if you'll, you get some elevation and a mile, you can leave back, you know, 85% of the hunters. The other place is, is, is truly backcountry. You know, it's the, the deer country starts at about 10 miles and goes all the way to about 15 miles. So I always try to get in there in late July, um, spend three to four days. I know the country well enough. I know right where to look for the bucks and where to inventory them. And uh, so that that's usually got to wait till late July to get the snow out of there and let the bucks settle in. Um, and so if I draw Wyoming this year, I don't think I will. I don't have any points or anything. I'd have to pull a random tag. Uh, same thing. That stuff's all backcountry, five to ten miles in. You know, I'll, I'll get the horses in there late July into August. You know, I'm always always back there by Idaho or Wyoming or any of the backcountry stuff by late July into August. You know, I really hit it hit it hard up until about the yeah, end of August. I, I try to quit before the end of August because I start archery hunting the end of August, and you know, I gosh, I gotta have a little break in there. I'm just go into the season, just mentally wiped out. Um, but lots, lots of glass in Kevin, lots of just checking familiar honey holes. And, and that's why I say bucks in these areas are like crops. You're just checking your crop. Did anything show up here this year? I mean, there's always bucks there, but you know, are they dinks? Are they three-year-olds? You know, is there, is there an old buck there, but maybe I don't want him, you know, didn't grow very good antlers. So just, just taking an inventory and back to the journal, Dennis, every year I keep a journal 
and just count my bucks. And I'm usually looking at a hundred to 300 bucks a summer, somewhere in there, um, you know, to find a couple of good ones. It seems like I'm a pilot. So, um, uh, I, I do fly some areas. Um, I don't do a ton of it. You know, it's not as effective as, as people think, but, um, I like to fly. So there's a few, few, few places I'll, I'll fly a little bit. That'll, that'll rack up your buck numbers too. But, um, so, so really a combination of it all, uh, uh, Kevin, and let's see on my, on my Colorado tag, if I draw it, I'm not going to pre-scout it because it's a third season tag. The deer aren't there yet. And I already know the unit, so I won't need to, I would just show up a few days early, get an idea of what are the deer doing with the snow levels, you know, stuff like that. Um, what else do I have out there? Oh, Nevada. If I draw that Nevada tag, that's a September muzzleloader hunt. I will scout that. That will be on the ground, motorbike, that kind of stuff. Um, it's not enough backcountry to worry about horses, um, but but definitely trying to find a particular buck on that hunt because there's such a good chance of finding him again with the season opening in September. Mm-hmm. See you um, looking at your microphone there, Dennis. Is everything? Sorry, open? I was. You know, of, of all the people, I'm starting to have. I don't know. Can you hear me? I'm, I can hear you just I, fine. I thought I, I thought I turned it off on accident. <laughs> yeah, no, we got you. Um, I w I'm glad you touched on flying because that was a that was going to be a question. Um, do you fly alone then, or is it a two seater? I guess that, you know you talk about this. I just fly planes, alone. But I, I don't, yeah. You fly alone? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So hard to get hard to get photos of those. I don't even worry about photos. I really don't. Um, Google Earth has replaced all that like 20 years ago before Google Earth was very good. Yeah, you know, I, I would go with another guy that he had a uh, 172 XP, which is a Cessna, pretty powerful Cessna. And, um, um, you know, he was a good pilot. And so I took a lot of pictures then. But now I just... I mean, you can't really take a picture of a buck when you're flying. Um, I've done it a couple of times, but they're usually blurry. Um, but just uh, use Google Earth to get a, a look at the country. I used to fly a lot more than I do now because part of flying is learning the country. I mean, I, I just I laugh when guys are, think that flying is just you're just going to be spotting all these big bucks. No, it's pretty hard, um, but you can learn so much country in a hurry. Well, Google Earth has replaced a lot of that. It's you don't have to you don't have to get up in the air to see the country now. You can look at it on Google Earth, and it's not as good because you know Google Earth you can't tell the vegetation types as much. But if I've been to the unit before and I know the zones that the deer live in, you know I can figure it out on Google Earth. But but uh, but yeah, flying is a it, it 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 definitely helps. Put it this way: if I had a high country Colorado tag, I would in a new unit, I would try to fly it. If I could, and you know, I might, I'd have to come down there and hire a hire a pilot out of one of your airports down there. But I would definitely try to do it. Super Cubs are the best. I've flown um, uh, powered parachute, um, Super Cub. You know, uh, the bigger Cessnas are fine. Huskies are awesome. They're made in Alpine, Wyoming. Here, I flew in a couple of those. I flew in one that was, had a modified windshield that went underneath the uh, fuselage. So all there was was a walkway at the bottom of the fuselage where you put your feet. And then mm. everything else was glass. And the guy was a subcontractor for the Game and Fish. And so um, he, he modified the plane so that the biologist could look underneath the plane. And uh, that's why, like, you know, Beechcraft and some of those planes aren't very good because the wings are underneath the plane, so you can't see very well. But mm. but that thing was flipping awesome. And um, I, 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 I flew in that. And, man, you could, just, you could look straight down. And uh, so, you know, variety of variety of different planes out there for it. But... You know, at the end of the day, if 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 I, if I could get a, a good pilot that had a Super Cub, man, I I'm all over that. And hmm. and why high country? Like, why would you fly the high country more so than something else? Or um, because the high country is open enough that you can you have a chance of seeing a deer. Um, you know, you may actually spot a big buck. If you look in my, uh, that chapter I wrote on aerial scouting in my book, you'll see a picture of about a 200 inch Wyoming buck. And you can't really tell from the picture. Cause like I said, they're, they're pretty blurry, but I, you know, I'd seen with my eyes, he was, he was an awesome buck. Um, well, it was high country. So you have a chance of seeing them. So anything that's got any, any vegetation, it, it just becomes less effective, you know, and you're, sure. you're just looking at country then. Makes sense. Um, I have one more one more note here, and we can. We, this is always seems like a um, a point where people can 
can go back and forth, you know, like uh, on their, their opinions, but you have eight power binos. Yes. Why? Like because everybody out West is like, you gotta have tens, right? Like East coast right. might use eights, West tens. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And the, one of our most popular articles on rock slide this year is, is about twelves. Now people are going to twelves. 12 and, is like going to be the standard. Like you got to yeah, have 12. Exactly. And so, well. Yeah, then you're going to be really far behind, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, for years, I used sevens. I've, I, I, and, and so um, the, the, the advantage to a lower power optic is you can, you can steady them with your hands a lot more. Now, guys might be saying, well, wait a minute. Now we got tripods and everything. Why don't you just do that? Well, because I don't just sit on the knob. I, I, I hunt on my feet a lot. And, you know, you see I had entire chapters in my book written on still hunting, tracking, and ambush hunting. All three of those, a tripod is just dead weight. You know, you're just, you're just dragging weight around the woods and noise and all that stuff. And so for the... A big chunk of the hunting I do, I've, you know, I glass a lot. I glass, you know, two to six hours a day, I glass. But um, back to, you know, a lot of the, what we talked about, a lot of the units that you can get a tag in, you know, they're not very good. And um, the deer are in the cover, you know, and, and, and I don't want to confuse guys. There's places, you know, draw tag units and everything that are pretty open, not a lot of hunting pressure. Man, glassing's awesome. You probably should glass 10, 12 hours a day. But these other places, the deer are just in the cover. They're not going to be out during the big deer are not going to be out during, during hunting season. The 24 inches will be, the three-year-olds will be, and, and you, you'll be thinking that, oh, if I just glass a little harder and a little longer, you know, Mr. Giant's going to show up. Man, it's not been my experience, man. He's hiding in the, he's hiding in the weeds and you got to go in there and get him. And so eight power binoculars, because I'm on my feet so much are just steadier view and, 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 um, objective lens, diameter being the same between a 10 and a 12 or 10 and an eight, you've got a bigger field of view. And I pick up a lot of bucks in my peripheral field of view, you know, cause they're not always where you think they're going to be. And you'll see something move, you know, at, at two o'clock up in the, up in your binocular and you move up on, Oh gosh, there's, there's a buck right there. I didn't even see him. Man, he's walking away. And so, you know, I wouldn't talk anybody out of using a 10. If, if you can get your binoculars steady and you're on a tripod, yeah, tens are better. Mm -hmm. I, I would never argue that they are better. Um, mm -hmm. but you know, an eight, everything is about just almost in life. Everything is about a trade-off, right? Mm -hmm. So for me, I have found an eight is a good trade-off for the way that I hunt. Now I have 15s and 18s and I got all that stuff, but those are for particular situations, you know, uh, glassing from a tripod, you know, but those eights, they live with me all the time, all the time, every hunt. They're, they're, they're with me on. And, you know, now I'm running an eight power Swaro EL might be running a Zeiss eight power this year. Uh, um, I ran that Zeiss seven power for years. I, when I go hunt with guys that have tens and twelves and all that stuff, they don't see any more deer than I do. You know, mm -hmm. I, I well, that, probably see more. Go ahead. That, br that brings up something that's um, having kind of deer eyes when you're, when you're scouting. Mm -hmm. um, like I use, my my favorite binoculars I have are eleven by forty five Mavens. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, they're, they're a good they're they're a good combination of clarity and reach, yep. um, in my opinion. And they seem to be at least for me they seem to be really good at that interface of of timber and open areas. Mm -hmm. uh, for whatever reason, they have really good clarity there. But I was talking to um, Brian Call, um, who has mm -hmm. the gritty the gritty podcast. Um, and this and I think this was when he was at our shop with us, Dennis. But he was saying that he could sit down and look at a hillside and churn up, say, seven or eight bucks. And Ryan Lampers can sit down and look at the same hillside or seven or eight deer. And Ryan Lampers can be like, "Well, there's 22 does, four okay bucks, and mm -hmm. two really good ones." You know that he just sees so many more. Mm -hmm. um, than than he does normally mm -hmm. so it seems well i would say day for day ryan's just hunted deer a lot longer than brian but i don't know that um 
you know, but to me, picking out deer and glassing, it's just an acquired skill. I don't, I haven't met anybody that hasn't hunted a lot that's put time into it that doesn't get pretty dang good at it. Hmm. Um, so, so I don't know, Kevin, I, I don't, I haven't hunted with those guys. You know, I, I know Ryan Lampers is just a buck fiend. And, yep. you know, that's what he lives, eats, and breathes. And he kills other stuff, too. But, you know, when deer and elk are kind of his specialty. You know, we're Brian. You know, he's he's hunting everything all over the place. And uh, so I, I don't know. I don't know. But but I would I would chalk it up to experience and just, just getting used to to looking for deer. And you you just get better at it. I've taken – I don't know if you're noticed in my book, Dennis. I wrote about three different guys that only had one eye or they had eye mm-hmm. problems. Mm-hmm. But they all were great at spotting deer because they put the time in and, and it could have just been, you know, that that handicap has taught them to really use their eyes where us, you know, 2020 guys or whatever I used to be, um, just don't, you know, we don't, we don't think about what we're looking at, mm-hmm. but you know, I put those guys in there just to let people know it, it's an acquired skill. I, I think it is, you know, maybe there's some people who are just going to be naturally better at it but i i still think we can all get better at it well i would say with the cow like cows deer down in arizona i've hunted mm-hmm. those a couple times they are definitely an acquired skill as far as picking them out it's like you almost have at least for me it's like i almost have to see one first mm-hmm. every day before i start to get it because they just disappear so quickly in that terrain because some of it's just really tall grass they're small deer yep um and they're just hard to pick out you know it's like okay now i kind of got my cow's deer eyes on and i know what i'm looking for again but it was almost like every day took you to where you had to find one or two before you're like okay i have confidence you know otherwise i just felt i was bypassing all these deer looking around I think it's the same for mule deer. I really do. I think you just, you spend enough time doing it. And, you know, I've seen Ryan Lamper's wall. That dude has killed, oh my gosh, I can't even count the number of bucks that were hanging on that wall. More than me. And so, you know, he's got to have dialed in deer eyes. Um, there's a, there's something that came up, uh, boy, one of our first podcasts was Hal Herring. I'm, I'm going to, uh, one of the, one of the parts of the three parts here that we did, but there was something that came up that we didn't talk about that I think plays in here. Um, it's called this, uh, it's a cognitive bias called frequency illusion. So once you see a red Volkswagen, like a red Volkswagen beetle and you're like, Oh, that's a red Volkswagen beetle. Then you start seeing them everywhere. Mm-hmm. Right. Like once you like kind of put that in your brain. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like that plays in here, man. You, you know, maybe towards the end of a season when you've been glassing for six hours a day, and it is easier to pick things up. Yeah. You know, because you're putting in that time and yeah. you, you, once you see that deer, then you can't unsee that deer. And then, then it's easier for you to find that next deer because yep. you, because you've seen that first one. So. Yeah. The, the human brain is incredible. It really is. And I think there's, I mean, if we, we truly are only using 10% of it, you know, it's, it's an incredible, let's call it a machine. And so, yeah, there, I think there's things going on in our brain when we're spending time doing this that we don't even realize. And it just becomes natural for us, just just natural to 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 be able to, you know, to see deer and parts of deer and, you know, deer in different lighting situations, deer. Um, uh, the lighting thing is, is really big. And I'm surprised that sometimes I'll surprise myself at what I see and, you know, poor light or whatever. But then I just remember that, well, it's because I'm kind of used to looking at deer and, you know, any, anything kind of reverse teardrop shaped is probably that's light in color is probably the rump of a deer. And I, and I need to look at it not just let my eyes move past it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Finding, finding those, again, those shapes, shapes of those lines, right? You mm-hmm. might see a curve in a place that doesn't, Mm-hmm. For what? Why would it be curvy there? Right. Why would well, it have I that curve a, to it? A little kid out there, they probably got better vision than me. And it, you know, I've done this with my son. It's right there. He's right there. They just cannot put those lines together in their head and make a deer. Mm-hmm. But I find people get over that pretty fast if they spend any amount of time in the deer woods. Yeah, it's kind of sure. like that thing they share that is like one way. It's a beautiful lady and turned upside down. It's like <laughs> a really old lady or whatever. Yeah. You know. Yeah, exactly, dude. I think I think there's a lot going on in that picture you're talking about that's probably applicable to looking at 
looking at deer. So, um, so go ahead. Well, I was, I was just going to say, uh, we, we've talked about rock slide and, and just use, use that term, but for everybody out there, um, can you, can you just let everybody know what, what that is to, uh, the website and then kind of the forum and, and what, and what that looks like? You bet. Yeah, you bet. Um, uh, well, that's how we all know each other is because of yeah. Rockslide. You know, Seek Outside is one of our long-term sponsors, you know, been on there since we started. But Rockslide is an online magazine, essentially, um, mm -hmm. and, and a forum. It, 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 and and so uh, there's two of us that own it, uh, Ryan Avery, my, my partner, and myself. Um, we both live in Idaho. He lives in northern Idaho. I live in southern Idaho. He handles all of our IT. I handle all the business stuff. And uh, Rockslide is just mostly geared towards Western hunting, although we try to cover the whole United States. And uh, we, we release articles weekly, uh, podcasts, uh, information geared towards Western hunting for the most part. And then the forum, the forum is really the kind of the lifeblood of Rockside because, you know, then everybody can get on there. It's not just a, you know, read an article. They can actually get on there and ask questions. Um, you know, I can't remember how many member, many members we have, 32,000, 35,000, and then, you know, add up all our lurkers. There's a lot of people coming and going off a of rock slide, you know, every day. And so it's, 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 I like that term. What's that? I said lurkers. I, li I like that term. Yeah. yeah. Those are the guys that read, but don't post. We know you're yeah. out there, by the way, we see your IP address. Ha -ha. But anyways, um, just, just because of that, it's just a great way to, to share information. And so like, for example, you know, I, I tell my writers that we have a staff of about 20 writers. Um, they're all freelance writers, but they submit articles. They've done a bunch for you guys and everything, you know, use a product. You know, I'm the editor. I get the products out to the writers and then um, they do the review. You know, the writers are, you know, third party independent so they can, you know, talk freely about the gear that they're using. Um, and, and so let's just say I get a piece of gear. Maybe it's something that I've used for years, eight power pair of binoculars, let's say with a rangefinder. And so I'm going to do this review on it. Well, if I'll put something on the forum that says, Hey, I'm gonna have this review coming out in a couple of months. You know, what do you guys want to want me to cover? It never fails. Members will think of stuff I never thought of, you know, like what, which side of the range finder or which side of the binoculars, the range finder button on, and you know, how long are the, is the strap, you know, things that you just don't think about. And so that's the great thing about rock slide is you can bring all these experiences together. And if you just keep an open mind and realize you don't know everything, you're always learning. You're always learning. And that's, I mean, a lot of forums just kind of got a bad rap for years, you know, a lot of bully pulpit stuff going on, but we, we've kind of tried to eliminate that with rock slide. And so it's, it's just information is freely shared, you know, no dumb questions. You know, we try, we try to kind of operate at that level and, I, and, and it, so it just lets the information flow. And, and uh, so that, that's what it's all about. Like I said, that's how, you know, we got to know you guys and, you know, I think the first time I ever heard of Seek Outside was on Rockslide and started looking at your titanium stoves. This is before, um, you know, Kevin and Angie came on as a sponsor and, you know, just, just a good way to learn about stuff and, and then get on there and be able to ask questions. Sure. Cool, man. And then um, your book too for everybody is uh, hunting, hunting big mule deer, how to take the best buck of your life. Um, and I just finished it. So I think everybody should go read it, learn, learn some stuff. If, if mule deer is something that you want to do sometime in the future, um, or you're currently doing it and having no success. <laughs> Thank you, Dennis. Yeah, man. Um, Anything else, uh, Kevin? Do you have any more questions or things we can talk about or want to talk about? I guess not now. Um, thanks for coming on and joining us and um, sharing your uh, knowledge of uh, hunting big mule deer. So. You bet, you bet. And hey, I do want to throw, give a shout out to you guys though on your on your teepees. As you know, Kevin, you sent me that teepee in 2014 to do the review on. So it's gone through what five seasons now: 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, six seasons. And um, dude, it's, it's still holding up well. Um, uh, no tears, a few little holes because I'm too lazy to put the spark arrestor on. And I've been really happy with my titanium stove. You know, I'm a long time. Um, uh, warm tent guy, hot tent guy, um, whatever you guys call him, hot tenter, I guess. Uh, that's a side term. But, um, you know, used them for years. And when I saw that titanium stove that you sent me, I thought, oh, man, that thing's going to be a warped mess the first time I use it. Because, you know, I've used lighter aluminum stoves and stuff like that, and they, they warp really bad. And, man, that thing, other than discolor uh, discoloration from the heat, is still going really strong, goes together like it should. 
Um, just, just a real game changer. And, you know, I used to be the guy that would pack in a steel stove and hide it somewhere. And then we try to use that camper every year. Don't, I don't do that anymore. I just, just went to the titanium. So for, you know, any of the listeners out there that haven't tried them, that's still a you know core piece of gear for me is that, 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 that eight man TP. And then that titanium stove, if you jump on rock slide, you'll see that review I did on in 2014 on those. I'm still using those, those, those two same exact same ones. I haven't even been replaced. So shout out to you, Kevin. Thanks. Sweet, man. Um, and I'll put uh, links. I'm going to put a link into your hunting big meal there, your YouTube video. Uh, we'll throw that down in the link I'll, or in the, in the description. I'll put links to all, all this stuff. Um, and then yeah, maybe we'll we'll catch up with you after the season and, and see how things went. Sounds good, man. I'd appreciate All right. it. All right. Hey, Thanks, Robbie. Guys. Thanks for coming on. Sounds great. Thank you. Thank you, Kevin. Hey, everyone. Real quick before you go, I just wanted to say thanks for listening. And if you've been enjoying what you're hearing, please leave us a review wherever you find your podcast. Thank you.